Hi there, Glocal Citizens. It's Florence Adu, your host for the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. Today, my guest is a very interesting individual. He is a music event organizer and an agroforester, which is an interesting mix, we would all say. But we'll learn more about that when he talks a little bit more about his craft. His name is Kofi Debra. And he is here in Ghana. We're both in Ghana now, but of course, remote in the age of Corona. So Kofi, welcome to the program. Thank you, Florence. Great to be here. Wonderful. So tell us more about where you're from, where you're local, and what's your craft? All right. Yeah. So I'm uh, where I'm from. Very good. Uh, very good question. So I'm, uh, I describe myself as a Londoner. I think they culturally... Uh, I'd say I'm a Londoner, even though I haven't lived in London full time for 10 years now. And, um, but I'm born and raised, all my education, all my formal education has been in London. And uh, so I moved, I moved to Ghana 10 years ago. And then uh, I also spent some time in, in Geneva. I spent three and a half years of the 10 years I've been out of London in Geneva as well. So, um, and it became home. It became home as well, as well as Accra, as well as London. So I, uh, yeah, I really feel global <laughs> in all of those places. So whereabouts in London are you from? I'm from Islington. So um, that's like North London. And uh, I mm-hmm. grew up very close to the Arsenal Stadium. So by, by default, I'm a Guna. <laughs> well, a gunner, as they say, in, uh, in, in, uh, okay. in my manner. <laughs> right, all right. So are you missing football right about now? Oh, to be, to be honest, it just, I mean, I'm not a diehard supporter. And I just, you know, I usually follow the big games. But, you know, culturally, I love it. You know, I love it when they're winning, when they're losing, I feel sad. But I'm not a... Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not a diehard supporter. And, you know, in these sort of unprecedented times, I'm kind of not missing much and really just kind of focusing, doing my best to try and focus on the here and now, because it's a yeah. really kind of uh, really right. critical yeah. junction, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of doing my best, yeah, just to focus on the, on the here and now and trying to play my part to help us all get, get through this. Okay, cool. So your part in in terms of your craft is what? Okay, so I'm my most of my working life is actually is been with music events, and uh, so I've been organizing events for more than twenty years now, and uh, commercial events, commercial music events. I studied at I started at university and then continued, and then also worked with some major music festivals in the UK. And then I uh, sort of thought I reached where I could in the UK and then decided to come to Ghana to set up a a music festival. And then, but also to give me a proper introduction to Ghana. And from my work in the UK, I realized that music and events are one of the best ways to build your network and meet people. So that's what I've been doing in Ghana. I set up a uh, with some partners, a music festival in the Western region called Asabaku. And we just celebrated our 10th edition just yeah. last month. And it yeah. was like a whole world away. You know, we did it just before there was any kind of formal cases of 
COVID-19 in in Ghana. So we sort of just scraped through. And I think if it was, if there had been an official case, for sure, we would have cancelled the event. Um, yeah. So we feel really fortunate. You know, we were like one of the last international events in Ghana. And so we feel kind of feel kind of privileged that we were able to bring all these people from around the world, from within Ghana, to kind of celebrate life, celebrate culture, celebrate music, celebrate the arts. And then now it's complete lockdown. <laughs> so looking at looking at the pictures, the amazing pictures from the event, and the amazing feedback, it's just uh, just really grateful that we're able to put it together. Right. So Kofi, tell yeah. us a little bit more about the background, particularly so just stay on the music track for a moment. What kind of yeah. background inspired you to to go into that space? And then also to, you mentioned that you kind of reached your 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 crest in the UK. How did that happen? And how did you decide that Ghana was where you wanted to come back to? No, I mean, not within your Ghanaian, but how, how did you decide Ghana not another part of the world? Yeah, I think because I, Ghana is a really special place. And I think it's, there's there's a reason why you got a lot of international companies setting up shop in Ghana, a lot of regional, it's a regional hub. You know, you got a lot of Nigerians here, people from Cote d'Ivoire all around, you know, and, and you got, you know, when I'm driving up to my, uh, some of the, with my other work with the agroforestry work, I'm seeing, you know, big trucks from Mali, from Burkina, from Togo, all using Ghana roads. So it's really a kind of like strategic hub and a really good place to set up shop. And so I, Although I grew up in London, I grew up in a Ghanaian house in London. You know, there was always soup in the fridge. We had fufu <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> two, three times mm-hmm. a week. We had all the foods. My mom used to <laughs> stink up the house <laughs> when she's making banku. And uh, right. so, um, and um, yeah, so I, you know, I had this kind of strong Ghanaian identity or UK Ghanaian identity. Let me make it more specific. This is very different from a Ghanaian identity. And um, so I always kind of, kind of when I matured, when I was around 18, I sort of really fell in love with Ghana and um, kind of realized from a young age, the kind of its, it's strategic importance. And I, I, I kind of also realize even though you know there's a lot of wealth and a lot of prosperity and a lot of security in kind of in in the west in the conceptual west i kind of i kind of i realized back then it wasn't permanent and i realized as well through kind of the prejudice and the institutional racism that i was experiencing directly and indirectly that i couldn't you know, I couldn't stay there for, I, I just couldn't stay there. And I knew from, yeah, quite a young age, thanks to also to my dad, who's, uh, you know, encouraged me to read up about Ghana history and Pan-African history and the likes of Nkrumah and, and things and such figures that I kind of had this calling from a young age and sort of as I kind of matured and graduated from university and went into the working world and kind of, experienced all of those kind of setbacks in my mind i was like you know what i i gotta get i gotta get out of here because <laughs> it's just not healthy mm-hmm. uh, right. i just didn't, i just felt it just wasn't healthy healthy for me and 
And it also seemed like even like I had like allergies and intolerances and like all of these things. But when I came to Ghana, it just my body just felt so good. And um wow. just, <laughs> with the fresh food and I just I just always felt good when I when I came to Ghana. Uh, up until I, I came to live here and then I realized <laughs> some of the realities. But um Right, right. right. So it's kind of I just knew from a young age and I one of my festivals. Yeah, that had come back and and I kind of delayed it and um, for good reason. You know, I just think I wasn't mature enough. And then I kind of made the jump when I was 30. I'm 40 now. And I think it was a nice age to come to uh, Ghana then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if I did it before on my own, like the way I did, you know, I, I probably would have just ran back to the UK and then not, 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 not come back uh, at all. So... Yeah, I don't know if did I answer that the the, the, the question and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then, on the music side, how did you find yourself in music? It's actually my I've got two older sisters, and they both okay. went. They're about five years apart, and they both went out with DJs. So when I was eight, seven, eight, uh, my older sister. Uh, went out with a DJ, and he Ghanaian, and he he was a drum and bass and like and jungle jungle music dj it was like really popular music in uh in the uk at the time and uh so i just used, always used to hear about the stories and when i used to go around to their house meet other djs and promoters and i was just always fascinated by those sort of sort of events where that brought loads of different people together and then a few years later my middle sister also went out with a dj also Ghanaian, and he was a hip hop DJ and there was a little bit older. So I could, when I was like 16, I used to go to some of the events, guest lists and used to, I met some like big hip hop artists, British and American and was backstage and, you know, it was really exciting. And okay. I tried DJing and I was, wasn't so great at it, but I just loved the, <laughs> the events, <laughs> the event side of it. So I just was yeah. back to that <laughs> To that side, and um, okay. I was just much more interested in the, the the behind the scenes work and kind of the quiet person behind the scenes bringing it all together, and that person coming to enjoy themselves and not knowing who the kind of main person is, and I kind of like to be that person, and yeah, so that was it, and then then I went to university, and then I became president of the African and Caribbean Society of my university in the, in the UK and we had, we had a carnival event. There was an annual carnival and at the time it'd been running for 10 years. This was a carnival at the university organized by okay. the African and Caribbean Society. Yeah. And so coming from London, I was like, oh, no, no, we need to make this bigger and better, you know? <laughs> and so we, <laughs> I then collaborated with some other uh, societies within the university and we, we put on a huge uh, event, biggest the university had ever seen and it sold out and it was amazing. And, I, and I, I brought all these top DJs that I knew from London to come and play at the event. It was amazing. So then I graduated and then I volunteered with the Notting Hill Carnival. I think then after a year, I started getting consultancy work with like various organizations around carnival work. And then, you know, I was doing that and then organizing my own events uh, on the side. And and, um, then I 
started working at music venues in Notting Hill that were connected to the carnival and also still organizing event, my own events throughout. And then I, I was flown to Trinidad one year to like research and develop their, their, their carnival there and create more links to the UK. And I think that, that was in 2007. And then there, I was like, it felt like I was in Ghana. You know, I got off the plane. I was like in the airport terminal waiting for my pickup. And it was like, I recognize this place. Like this feels very like normal to me. You know, it wasn't like I was in the Caribbean. It was like, it's like I'm in Ghana. <laughs> There's no kind of difference. And then um went out to where I was staying and it just it just felt so familiar to me. And um it was really interesting because then where I was staying closer to the center of town, nobody believed that I was from Ghana. Like of course. It was so, it was so weird. It was so surreal. It was like <laughs> guys were the same. Like, of course. <laughs> you know, because yeah, uh, yeah so it was really, really surreal. And then then um, the carnival itself, obviously uh, there's the Notting Hill Carnival, but it, it was a it was a bit deeper there in, in the Caribbean because it was closer to more Africa. I was like, right. this, it just would work so well in Ghana. And then I could see some of the traditions, you know, they wave their handkerchiefs in the air. I mean, they've taken it yeah. to another level. <laughs> they've taken it to another level. We don't wave them <laughs> how they do. Yeah. It's, you can see it's from, from, <laughs> from, from this from this region and it just further kind of instill, instilled my need to come to Ghana to do something. And then two years later, I left the UK and then I packed everything up and then came to Ghana and really to develop the kind of music and arts industry or do my part to help develop the music and arts industry here because I realized firsthand the power of music tourism and the power of the arts to transform economies and transform lives. And so that's, that's uh, what I came to Ghana to do. And, and I've, I've realized that I, I'm really passionate about rural, rural economic development, about getting out of the city. I love these sort of like destination festivals. Mm. And so that's sort of, that's where, where we're, that's so one of the reasons why we, we chose to do the festival in the Western region. We wanted to have something outside of Accra and help to develop a region outside of Accra. And, and the Western region has got a long history of, of music and a lot of the great artists are from the Western region. The Jedouble Ambele, Papa Yangson, I believe, is from the Western region, Rob, he was a, a famous 70s singer. And, you know, there, there's a number of other artists from the Western region and from the, you know, and from the central region. That part of Ghana is really a, a special place. Mm. So tell us, um, so the festival is called Asabako. And so tell us, what does Asabako mean? And how did you go about, because, you know, doing a festival in a place like Ghana, you know, we have our our certain way of celebrating and parties, but this was an unprecedented at the time when you started and even now. So tell us about the genesis of the name and and how you actually operationalized it to be um, still happening 10 years later. We put a call out to our network of musicians on, on to help us come up with a name. And then sort of we gave them a brief that we wanted it to 
be like a name of like unity and sort of like coming together. And so the the name Asabako translates to one dance mm. and just really just symbolizing yeah unity in in ourselves and yeah and unity through rhythm. And so that's that's how we came up with the name. And actually Mensa, top musician, top Ghanaian musician came up with the name. Mm, okay. And he's part of the 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 duo. He's yeah, a solo artist. Mensa, he's Yes. Yeah. The um, fucking boys, right? Yes. Yes. F O K N. F O K N. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> right. I have to call by that. <laughs> okay. Right. And so beyond the music, you also do something for the community. So tell us more. You, you're passionate about it. So tell us more about some of the community impacts that you've been able to implement as part. Yeah. Yeah, we work with the women's group in Bourgeois. We soap making workshops and like selling the soap to the tourists. We there's beach cleanups. We've trained up event organizers who've gone on to do their own events. We've helped to provide a platform for emerging artists. Gone on to really great things. You know, the one that we really like to say is a like Kofi Kanata. He's mm. now a national superstar. He's one of his first shows was at Asabako. Okay. And uh, I think we met his, one of his managers through the event. And, you know, roles, roles are reversed now. We're like, Coffee, when are you coming back on stage now? You know, before he was <laughs> there, you know, so now we're like chasing, now we're chasing him to <laughs> come on our right. stage. And uh, so he's, you know, he's one of the examples. There's Ayusem as well, who's um, really making great waves. And so, yeah, so that, that's kind of, what our kind of our mission is and in that respect we're really fulfilling it you know we feel we could do a lot better but that's what we you know that's what we've uh, contributed and we also bring in much needed cash to the economy yeah and the sabaku is like one of the, the biggest revenue earner for a lot of people within the community and the way we've designed the festival is that it's not just the hotels that benefit. It's the people selling pure water. It's the people selling oranges. You know, all of the, it all goes up for them. So we've, we know it's really amazing how we've embedded ourselves into the community. Nice. And become a, a key fixture in the Western region events calendar. Nice, nice, nice. That's lovely. So speaking of regions and conversations, this is when I ask my guests about their local speak. So I want to know, is there a word or phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local speak? Oh, wow. Um, can you give me some examples? That's <laughs> Like how? Uh, ah, okay, so I get a lot of chale, chale <laughs> you know, that, that one, you know. So, so you're uh, a local speaker. <laughs> Funny enough, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's like, hey, chale. <laughs> that's the best thing <laughs> that came to mind. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. So, so put yours in context. Like, how how do you see chale as your local speak? I think that it's, it's, it's not just Charlie. It's like, hey, Charlie. It's like, it can mean so many different things like in terms of how you express it. So there's, uh-huh. there's hey, you know, there's, hey, Charlie, like, hey, what's up? You know, and there's, hey, Charlie, no. Like, no, you know, it's like, it comes as a shock. So right. it's, like, it's like one of those words. I can't remember the word. It can mean so many things and just in terms of how you express and say it. And I think that sums up 
sort of like my experience in Ghana in in terms of like the set, that one thing can mean so many different things. Ah, right, right, right. So, and I like that you put it that way because everyone who has described it has described it in a different way. So, so yeah, as it, however it means okay. to you. And so the funny thing is that everyone understands it as well. So no matter what context, people mm. understand it, what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. so yeah, I like, I like that term. But actually, I want to add something more to it as well. Like, chale is becoming an international international word. The same way, brethren, that which from the Nigeria, I'm um, sorry, from the Jamaican context, has become global. Chale now, uh, a lot of my international friends in the UK say chale. You know, they refer to me. They, hey, what's up, chale? You know, when they really <laughs> when they okay, yeah, 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 okay. So yeah. it transcends the vice. Of, it's now not just global. It transcends. It's global. Yeah, yeah. Got it. It transcends. It really is. Nice, nice. So let's take a, a pivot and talk a little bit about you, the agroforester. So I get that a lot of your interest has been in rural and development and economic empowerment. So I'm guessing that was part of what incentivized you yeah. to go into that space. So tell us more about that work. Yes. And uh, how you came to to take on yeah. those that role. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I've always uh, I've been in, interested in the environment and and uh, rural economic development. And I think it's from my granddad, when I, because when I was a kid, I used to visit his cocoa farms. Mm. And we used to travel for hours from Kumasi to his farms in Western region or Bongahafo region. And uh, I just loved the journey and, and I, I loved being there and I loved eating the fresh uh, contemporary mm. stew with a pim, and just a little bit of palm oil, you know, and it was just a heavenly, <laughs> heavenly food yeah. out there, fresh food, you know, all organic back then. And so I just always loved that experience. And then I can, you know, I forgot about it as I, I grew older. And then somehow just emerged in working in agriculture or agroforestry, encouraging farmers to, farm with trees, which helps the environment, helps protect the soil, gives them extra income, mm-hmm. all of these uh, bonuses. And, the, you know, also consulting. Uh, and then, you know, sort of struggled within that space because it wasn't my main thing that I studied or had, you know, uh, working experience in and just really put my all into it and somehow had the festival going on as well. And it was a real, 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 real big challenge. You know, then all of a sudden I had, I was sort of established within that space and then, and then getting paid <laughs> to consult for other projects, which was really amazing, you know? Like, um, and yes, it's, it's been really good within that space. And I'm really, yeah, grateful for the, the knowledge I've built up and the ability to also communicate between different worlds within agroforestry. So for instance, being able to understand it from the farmer level and actually being on ground and having the realities of trying to set up uh, my own agroforestry systems and struggling and learning through that process, setting up a processing factory so we could add value to the cassava that we farm working with export contracts and also getting international funding and like being able to kind of move between those 
different worlds. It's really, it really feels, I feel really privileged to be able to do that. And um, I've been working in that space for four years now, okay. like on ground for four years. And I did sort of like two years of research and sort of like looking back, I'm thinking, wow, oh my goodness, is that what a journey it's been? Like, how did I do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and what, you know, and what was I thinking when I started it? Right. But uh, really fulfilling, really fulfilling work. And I, I really enjoy being out on the ground and I'm doing a lot of uh, office work and report, report writing and emails and stuff. But uh, yeah, I really love getting out onto the field. And I, I was on the field a few days ago, mm-hmm. actually consulting on the project in the in the north so yes it's really 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 good so can i can i take a step into the actual process right so two things and my listeners because a lot of what i like to kind of communicate is how how you able because you mentioned you're running the festival and doing this and then how actually were you feeding yourself so what kind of landing did you have to be able to or some kind of like structure that allowed you to be able to sustain yourself number one or let's go with that first then i have another one yeah so i was i've been really i've been really fortunate i another work i do i i'm a virtual learning consultant Mm -hmm. and what that means i work for an american company and i've been working with them for five years now and i help deliver training programs online and so mainly to un so mostly to fao the food and Agriculture Organization and WFP, okay. the World Food Program. And basically, it, we, we, the company I work for develops training programs. We call them learning journeys for their staff around the world. Oh. And so what we help them do is meet in these virtual spaces and interact with each other So and learn from each other. So we invite guest speakers within WFP to talk about, for example, Bumps and Balances is one of the, the programs on how they, you know, like we talk about how in all their work, there's going to be bumps, but how do you balance it? Mm-hmm. And then so, you know, it's a, a lot of it is, is around that sort of stuff. And somehow <laughs> universal coincidence is that that work actually relates to my sort of on the ground work in Ghana. Right. So that's, it's through that work, actually, I've been able to kind of feed myself and sustain myself because in the very early stages, I wasn't being paid, you know, from the agroforestry work, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. And also, because I did so much research into agroforestry, I, I got lucky and I met a major landowner through the festival, actually. And um, he'd been trying to... Right. Mm-hmm. And he'd been trying to set up a major reforestation project over 50,000 hectares. You know, it's like the size of London and New York. Wow. And he'd been trying for 10 years to set it up. And I met him and we just got talking. We we're actually talking about the festival. And he's like, oh, what else do you do? I was like, oh, I'm into agroforestry. You know, he's been doing it for a couple of years and all of this stuff. And then He's asking me questions. Little did I know that he's got this project that he's got me in mind for. And so then he starts talking about his project and, you know, my eyes are lighting up. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like a dream project. It's on cocoa agroforestry. And I did a little bit of research into it uh, already. And um, I'd made some contacts within that space. So 
this project he'd been trying to get off for 10 years. Within six months, I had it up and running and we'll plant it on the field. And he also had another big piece of land, a coconut plantation, which I helped him to get up and running as well. Wow. So I just, you know, it's through kind of that, that that's kind of how I was able to sustain, sustain myself. And, and to be honest, my own project, I put it on the back burner because I was like, you know what, I'm getting paid yeah. <laughs> and I'm learning at right. the same time. Yeah. So let me take a year off from my own project mm-hmm. and let me learn on the job and get paid mm-hmm. because I can't finance myself on my own project. Mm-hmm. And then once I kind of helped get those projects up and running and I was able to yeah, sustain myself and get and get that knowledge, I then went back to my own project and set that up. And I've also been fortunate to get some international funding as well for my work. Um, yeah, so, so so this is sort of, that's how I've been able nice. to sustain myself. What is your specific yeah. project? So we're creating an agroforestry buffer zone around a national reserve. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a little piece of land on the edge of this reserve and so I'm partnered with two other organizations also within that landscape. And so we're slowly chipping away at creating kind of a growing system that farmers can adopt, increase their yields, and then we can also help them gain access to market. Yes. And so we, uh, we've been chipping away for a while and it, it still feels early days. Mm. And so that's... In, in a simplified version, that's what we're doing. And if it is an opportunity, I can share a link with you. So maybe if anyone right. listeners we'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely. more details about Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm. So now I move into my mindset hack question. And so this is when I ask my guests, okay. favorite or innovative mindset hack that you can imagine that you know of or one that you already practice? Mine is calm. calm. I think calm is a superpower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Calm is a superpower because when things are going, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of turbulence in the world and there's a lot of disruption. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stay calm. We must stay calm in this time. You know, we can't stay calm. I'm not saying we're going to stay calm every single minute and second, mm-hmm. but we mostly, the vast majority of that, 99% of the time, we must stay calm because, you know, when we get angry, when we get frustrated, it affects our immune system. Exactly. When we're stressed about something, when we're stressed about things we have no control over, mm-hmm. it weakens our immune system. Exactly. You know, and I was, and you know, the thing is, I've been stressed over Christmas. I had those way too much, I had way too much going on and I got sick. Mm. I was out of action for two weeks. And that was like my warning. That was like my, that was like my pre-COVID warning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you got to take care of yourself. you got to take care of yourself. You know, you got to take care of yourself. You're letting all these things get to you. So then I started practicing more yoga and meditation. And that, those, that really, really helped me. But the main thing I think it's helped me even throughout my whole experience in Ghana is being calm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because when you're when you're calm, you can you still have access to your brain. But when you're stressed, you're only focusing on the stress. 
So that's uh, yes. one hack. So true. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's a great one. So Kofi, we're at the end of our conversation. This has been so insightful. Me, I, I have to I have to admit, I have farming aspirations. So I too came to Ghana with the idea that eventually I become a farmer. So I have land, I have ideas. Oh cool. I love oh I love to talk to farmers and just kind of get my mind around the whole and I, I also love going to the land. So our land is just very virgin now. It mm. used to be a palm forest. But I think that Fantastic. we need people, young people, and I guess all people, particularly young people who keep coming to the city to actually love and learn the land because I mean this crisis right now teaches us something very important is that if we don't understand our land we are going to have problems so I'm excited yeah. for the link that you have to share Definitely. and I'm excited just to continue the dialogue so before we go I always like to ask my my guests something that kind of digs into the deeper part of their their mind or their leisure so what exactly are you watching these days are you a watcher or a reader or a listener actually I'm 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 more of a watcher these okay. days, so I've, so I've been watching a lot of a lot of documentaries on <laughs> boring stuff, actually, on infrastructure, oh. on like how societies collapse, oh. <laughs> in a, or how you know how societies and nations emerge. Because I, basically, my my I studied social anthropology, so I've always been fascinated by. Right humans and the institutions that they kind of and the, the, the institutions that they built mm-hmm. so that's uh that's kind of that's what i've been watching and then how you know on the link between agriculture and and societal development yeah. so a lot of that that's yeah. and in between a lot of stuff about covid <laughs> so, right 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 so I've been I've been sort of educating myself on on on, 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 human those, existence. on those things. Yeah, that's definitely not boring. It's very relevant. Yeah. I'm I'm also a nerd. I like watching those things too. Yeah, I'll pick up some titles for you so that we can also add that to the show notes. Okay, great. So, any last words for our guests? Stay positive. Stay healthy. If you're not, read up about it. Stay calm and reach out. Reach out to people. And I'm saying this to myself too reach out to people. If you're struggling with something, reach out. Like now is the time for community. If there was ever a time for community and strengthening community, it's right now. So I also thank you, Florence, for reaching out to me and giving me this opportunity to share my life. And uh, really, really, uh, really, uh, really grateful to be able to, to do that. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your words. It's been awesome. The reach out is so important. Really, people love up your loved ones. I can't say it more. I love love them up because yeah. and that doesn't mean you have to be there. Call them, you know, call them. Just just be there. So so on that, I want to say thanks again for joining us for Global Citizens. You can catch us each and every week, Tuesdays on globalcitizenspod.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your podcast. Please subscribe, please comment. And until next time, bye for now.